0: Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal—the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. Uh, another four movie week for me. You've been—you've uh, been very busy this week uh, with not watching movies. So, but, well, and I want, yeah,
1: um, <laughs> sort of by accident. Uh, so every year, Jen and I look at uh, the schedule for the Hollywood Bowl, and we—and there's like a. There's a, I hear an Herbie option. Han-
0: Herbie Hancock's coming. He is, yes. Um, I uh, actually entered a thing to win tickets. I didn't. Oh, um, I see. Okay, I didn't win. Um, I, I was I'd like, go, that's I'd a very see, sp- yeah. I'd go see Herbie Hancock.
1: I don't think I could place. Uh, sure, why not? Yeah, just, sure. Essentially, just to say that you did. Um, but I will never.
0: Okay. I will never not think of Tommy Boy. Of course. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's but
1: that's John only- Hancock. It's Herbie Hancock.
0: Yeah. That's only people of a certain. Age. A very, that's so yeah. specific. Where you would have heard, where you, you hadn't been like old enough to see Tommy Boy and yeah. young enough to not have actually heard of Herbie Hancock, the musician. <laughs> right. Yet. Right in that sweet spot to where that's your first exposure to the name Herbie yeah. Hancock. And I think at first I thought it was just like a joke name, like he didn't know. Right. And like I, I think it took me later until real to realize, oh, he's, there's actually a famous person named Herbie Hancock.
1: <laughs> um, yeah and then it's also in retrospect I was like I can't imagine Tommy from Tommy Boy knowing who Herbie Hancock is but you you never know um so uh yeah so there's this option where you can buy like five you can buy two tickets to five shows for you know uh for a specific price so that's kind of what we do and then we just go down the list and find what is interesting to us uh and then we let the chips fall where they may, and sometimes okay. that means is we go two or three times in a week. Oh, okay. uh, This time it was twice, uh, once Tuesday, once Wednesday,
0: and as is the case with... Oh, Tuesday, uh, I was furious at the Hollywood Bowl traffic. That, as you should be. Because I left, I was at um, Hollywood and Highland just down the street yeah. for their, uh, they do a they do a summer series where they have jazz, like in the sure. courtyard at Hollywood and Highland. And it's like super cheap. It's like, I mean, it's free to go, but then for a $14 donation, you get mm. two glasses of wine and a cheese plate. Oh, that's nice. So that, and that's a two glasses. Like this places in Hollywood, you get $14 gets you one glass of wine. Yes. You know? Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I was there, and then, like, we went to the bar at Cabo Wabo afterwards, obviously. Of course. can't not be at Hollywood and Highland. (laughs) I go to Hollywood and Highland so often. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, because TCM's there. Yeah. AFI Fest is there. Press screenings are there sometimes. OutFest was there this year. And then Mm. you've got this thing. Like, I'm there. And also, when it comes to, like, Christmas shopping is, like, the only time that I ever, like, go to a mall. Oh, yeah. And because Hollywood and Highland has a metro stop, and I live two blocks from a metro stop, it's the easiest mall for me to get to. So every Christmas I'm also there like buying shit for my wife or whatever. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always at Hollywood and Highland anyway. So I was there on Tuesday uh, and I thought I was there. Like we went to the, we went to the bar pretty much specifically to wait out the Hollywood bowl traffic mm-hmm. and we caught the tail end of it. And I, it was still enough to make me furious. Of course. Cause then I got stuck behind one of the shuttles getting onto the freeway. It was just, well, and that's the thing is with the
1: Hollywood bowl, probably more so than really any other venue Getting there is a huge thing, so a two-hour show winds up being a five-hour, for lack of a better term, ordeal, Uh, and so Jen and I will do like a park and ride thing where we get on the shuttle and all that. Anyway, uh, so that happened twice this week, and it was enjoyable, but it also, I was like, oh boy, well, I guess I'm not getting to really a lot of movies this week. But
0: what you didn't say what you saw. Uh,
1: I saw uh one was just an evening of mozart and then uh the next was uh charlie musselwhite um oh, cool. jimmy vaughn and buddy guy and oh, wow. uh that was great i'm a big fan of charlie musselwhite i don't know um, jimmy vaughn do i jimmy vaughn is a he's i mean he's been around for a long time he's mostly a blues guy okay. he is the older brother of stevie Ray vaughn. um uh, okay. and uh but he's yeah he's played guitar in a number of bands and then does his own thing as well um but yeah it was tremendous fun uh what i will say this is this is almost like a subtopic uh, at some point um so the mozart, the evening of mozart uh it was quite i don't remember what they played for the first half and then the second half was essentially just requiem uh which i have heard a lot of that a lot of that music has been played in films and that sort of okay. thing but here they had a full uh, choir, and then they had several individual opera singers, and so they they did that and I came to realize and Jen and I had this discussion um and I realized this is gonna make me sound super uncultured. I really have i wouldn't say no i- w- i would say no patience for opera, but oh. it really does nothing for me What, too many notes. <laughs> That's it. I I like maybe 8 uh okay. in the course of like a minute. Um I don't even know what that means. But uh I think it's just um I don't know what it is, but it's it never I can I can definitely appreciate the the craft and the a- achievement of it. Um I've actually known some opera singers who just it's weird. They just talk like you and me and then they can sing <laughs> opera and it's insane. Uh and I just had that moment where I was like, okay, like I'm I'm an artistically minded person, but there is I can point to at least one high culture uh bit of artistry that I just do not seek out and when it is presented to me, um I don't get angry or anything, but it was like, all right, uh, this is not going to be my thing for a while. Uh, and so I, I feel dumb, uh, admitting that, but I also was like, well, whatever. I still can engage in any number of other, uh, uh, types of, of artistry, but that one just doesn't do anything for me.
0: Let me ask these two Hollywood bowl things. Okay. Are these Hollywood bowl productions or least events, which I mean, Because if it's a Hollywood Bowl production, you can bring a picnic basket, you can bring a bottle of wine, you can do all that. Least events, it's up to the person leasing it. Sometimes they'll only let you buy concessions, sometimes they'll let you bring stuff in. Uh, Well, uh, I guess this
1: was a Hollywood Bowl production on both counts because we brought stuff in. Um, And then
0: next week. I've learned, or I've been told, I've never had to have any, but told to make sure to look that up before you go to the Hollywood yes. every time because you can
1: jen has uh, had to surrender like a, a bottle of wine in the past yeah that's that would be all yeah um next week we're going to uh, a production of like a mixture of classical music and cinema uh cinematic music uh and it's the theme is like space yes. movies uh and then the week after that we're seeing uh Peter and the Wolf, yeah. with narration by uh, John C. Riley.
0: In fact, heads up, no, uh, probably no movie journal next week because of your b- right. full schedule. Right. Uh, regular episode, so. of course, but no movie journal. Next
1: but anyway, so uh, I have been engaging in different types of art, not, yeah, cultured, not
0: necessarily movies. a very cultured person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to see jazz at a mall, so obviously I'm equally <laughs> <Exactly>. cultured. Uh, <laughs> and then <laughs> in, it's off to Cabo Wabo. In which I led, yeah, I led with... You get cheap wine, and then we go to Sammy Hagar's <laughs> restaurant. It's a very cultural event. Um,
1: You'd be surprised uh, how much opera they play at, at Sammy Hagar's yeah. restaurant, though.
0: Um, and the name of this, this is funny. Actually, the name of the jazz group we were seeing—we were going to try and keep this one short. I'll, I'll, I'll keep this short. The name of the jazz group we were seeing—I can't remember the guy's name it was uh, Marquis something on Marquis Hill, and it's called the Marquis Hill Black Tet. All okay. the guys in the band are black guys. All right. But the thing I kept—I I was looking at, I was like. I don't know based on this name how many guys are in the band. <laughs> Do you yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, that's true. It ended up being five, but like it could have been. I yeah, could have been four. The word black was replacing. Yeah, yeah. It could have been a septet.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't heard of octet, but I've heard of quartet, quintet, sextet. And septet, septet. probably octet is probably probably yeah. yeah. You don't hear about it very anyway, often. So it
0: ended up being a quintet. In case you're okay, uh, you were worried. All right, so let's um, let's talk about some movies. All right, uh, I watched the movie the the a uh, Blu-ray. The the review of which is up on the site right now. And this movie blew me away. It's so good, and I feel like I'm uh, I'm, I'm kind of a uh, I, mean, I kind of was late to liking martial arts movies. Mm-hmm. You know, like I. Um, uh, I I feel like at that time, like when I was a teenager and like young adult, I didn't get a lot of them. Or then I right. started to getting getting into things, and I think kind of like something like the Master of the Flying Guillotine that I loved, but I was like not sure because I got re released in theaters when we were in college. I ended up buying the DVD when it came out, um, and I was like I loved it, but I was like, to what extent am I liking this? Ironically, because it's like so silly. But now I really like it, and then I think the Once Upon a Time in China was a big movie for me. Anyway, so basically, that what that means is that the director, um, oh, I just wrote his name like uh, King Hu, best known for A Touch of Zen. Mm-hmm. After that, probably best known for Dragon Inn, which I've only seen the scenes from Dragon Inn that are on the movie screen in the movie in the th- in the movie Goodbye Dragon. <laughs> okay, Inn. yeah, I don't. So I've never actually seen so I so the first King who movie that I'm seeing is not one of his two like (laughs) recognized masterpieces, but film movement classics just put out on Blu-ray, the fate of Lee Khan from 1973. And holy shit, this movie is so great. Okay. And, um, I feel like I'm in a Tarantino mind space, headspace because of once upon a time in Hollywood, but also because I know that dragon Inn is often cited as one of the major influences on hateful eight. Uh, and, the fate of Lee Con clearly must be an influence on the fate on, 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 uh, Hateful Eight as well, because it is a movie that other than like, it has a bit of a prologue and then it has a big finale that's out on the plains. There's like maybe one other scene that takes place outside. Pretty much the entire movie takes place mm-hmm. in this rural inn, um, and, uh, it, You've got basically Lee Khan is the bad guy in the movie he's a he's a general that takes place in the like 14th century he's a he's a general who's trying to put down a rebellion out in this rural province and he and uh, he so he like bivouacs his army uh, outside the you know near the the inn and then he and his sister um, come to stay at the inn and the inn is run by these four ladies who are very sort of like you know hospitality first very friendly but they're also secretly rebels and martial arts masters <laughs> so basically <laughs> it's these four ladies and then a few other like rebels uh, like undercover as town's folks like and the accountant at the inn, and then there's like a guy who's like oh he's the town drunk he comes in and he like sings songs and people buy him a drink or whatever but secretly he's like one of the strategists of the rebels mm-hmm. um so they're all planning to to steal the like m- battle plan map or whatever he it, whatever the Guffin is that he has in yeah, this room yeah. they're all planning to steal it and so there's a bunch of like fight scenes at this end but there's also a lot of just like again very I it, Tarantino must have watched a lot of King Who movies I, I because the way that the tension builds over quiet scenes feels like something he has done a lot of also the sense of because like like Hateful Eight this is a scope movie that mm-hmm. mostly takes place indoors and yet never feels like a waste of the frame. Like he's constantly he, much. Li- <laughs> I want to make clear that I'm comparing King Hu to Tarantino in the sense that Tarantino is influenced by him. You know what I'm saying? Like okay, just because yeah. I came to it the other way. It doesn't. Uh, yes. Anyway, it's, it's, I'm, it's, I'm not saying he's like Tarantino. I'm saying Tarantino's like him. Right. But it's, it's like
1: when it. I wrote my review for hidden fortress, it's like, okay, Most people know about Star Wars first. Yeah. uh, And so like, I really tried not to talk about it from that angle, except to maybe hang a lantern on it and then just talk about the movie.
0: But, but I guess because of once upon Upon a time in Hollywood, I'm thinking of Tarantino's style a lot. Mm -hmm. And the way that King who doesn't let a single frame go to waste, everything is so considered. There's like, you know, there's scenes of, people at the end like gambling and playing dice and just like the shots of the dice landing on the table are like so perfectly calibrated well not showy like just perfectly considered and executed and everything the movie is never less than a hundred percent engaging to mm-hmm. watch at any time um, it's funny it's tense the tension I'll say without going into details because it would be a spoiler uh, there's a third act um, turn in the narrative that is also clearly an influence on Django Unchained. Um, uh, but I don't want to go into into details. Um, it's... I really, really love this movie and now I can't wait to see more King Who movies, including the ones that I probably should have seen by now right. um, that uh, other people have talked about. All right. Moving on uh, to... Sorry, I have two in a row and I need to take a drink of water. Okay, Okay, so... um. I think I'm pretty good. I agree. At not being, and I think I probably have been for a long time. And I means for a long time. I've been with my wife for uh, over 10 years, but like as a relationship guy, um, I'm not one of those movie guys who's like, when I'm in a new relationship, I'm like, Oh, this is a chance to show my favorite movies to a new person, which mm. is something that I feel like, uh, it mostly doesn't I don't know it doesn't get you very far right. I think I don't know it's it's a younger person's impulse and I certainly did that a little bit when I was younger sure. uh, with people but um, uh, I think I've as I got older and started dating more I became more interested in finding out what the other person was into as opposed to telling them what I'm into right anyway so I um, so my wife and I have very rarely sort of been like Oh, you should watch this. I think you'll like, it. we have both rarely done that to each other. You know, oh, I've, um, I've, I've done that to her, uh, a, a couple of times. Um, uh, and, and usually, you, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's paid off. I'm trying to think of like uh, examples. She really liked Merry Christmas, with Mr. Lawrence. Mm-hmm. She liked the mosquito coast. That was when we watched yeah. together. Uh, but she's also done the reverse to me a couple of times, a number of times. The, the ones that come to mind, there are two to come, that come to come mind before this week when she made me watch a movie. Uh, one is the movie, big business with, uh, ben and Lily <laughs> oh, Tomlin, yes. yeah. which I really enjoyed. Dual, dual roles. Right? Uh, yes. they okay. both play twins who are separated at birth. And so they're mismatched yeah. anyway. Um, and, uh, it, yeah, I thought that was a very enjoyable movie. She also showed me troop Beverly Hills, which I did not like as yeah. much. Um, real scattershot movie um, really bad messaging in in terms of uh, um, like H.E. Nelson's character is just a dick and still the goal is that she ends up with him but hmm. like the whole point of the movie is that he's a bad husband yeah but Anyway, uh, don't like that. She showed me Overboard, which I'm really on the fence about because, as a star vehicle, Carus on Goldie Hawn and Mike Haggerty, by the way. <laughs> uh, um, and also uh, Edward Herman and. Um, oh, who's the. Um, who's the butler? In. John Gielgud? <laughs> I know it's that it's he's not it's actually. An American, but uh, more of a goofball, um, like a 70s guy from the 70s. Oh fuck! Why am I drawing uh, a, a a blank? And why am I, um, Roddy McDowell? Roddy McDowell. Oh, is, okay. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so Overboard as a star vehicle is great. As a movie is troubling, sure. <laughs> um, uh, and and also kind of uneven. But she showed me a movie this week that she first told me, then made sure to t- tell me. Currently has a thirteen percent score on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. So um, this is proof that Rotten Tomatoes is not the final arbiter of mm-hmm. movie's quality. She showed me the 1985 Carl Reiner film, yeah, Summer Rental, starring That's, John Candy.
1: Now, a moment in 1985, yes? Yeah, what did I say? It, well, it sounded like 95, but it also could have been 85. Yeah, I, I mumbled. It was one so. of your um,
0: mumbling moments. Which is... I have more of those than that. I think, especially when I get excited about a movie yeah, like but summer I rental. Yeah. So much as much as summer, summer rental. I think part of the reason she wanted me to watch it. And as she talked about it a lot before, she wanted to watch it now because Rip Torn passed away, I yeah. think. And he has a very sizable role <laughs> yes. in, in the movie that I didn't even realize. Like I, I knew he was in it and he kind of shows up at the beginning near the beginning as like a waiter, um, but then you realize he's not just the waiter he also owns the bar and restaurant and he he rents sailboats and he gives sailing lessons and he ends up becoming sort of the uh the (laughs) Obi-Wan and he's basically a pirate like he just behaves like a pirate yes yeah and at first it's like oh that's the theme of the restaurant and it's like oh that's just what he's like all the time (laughs) yeah um which is kind of what Rip
1: Torn was like actually yeah
0: like his hook is not a uh it's not part of his costume he literally has a hook for a left hand um and, uh, man, this movie is so funny and, and it, it goes back to something you and I've talked about that I've gone back and forth about. Like when it comes to comedy, is it enough for it just to be funny? Does it ha does there need to be some sort of good filmmaking beyond that? And to me, I, I think if it's, if it's flat out bad filmmaking that can mar the comedy, right? but Carl Renner is basically a comedian first, and a filmmaker second. Yeah, and so all he knows how to do is to frame the thing for the for the funny to happen. Yes, and, and he does a great job of that. And so summer rental, even though like it, if you're hung up on narrative, you're gonna be you're gonna find it corny. Mm-hmm. It's a really dumb like slobs versus Snobs storyline, like every '80s movie did, um, in which John Candy like trains learns how to sail from Rip Torn so he can compete in a regatta to beat the local rich guy who, like, runs the town play by Richard Crenna. Um, it, none of that matters. It's mostly just a series of set pieces for John Candy and Rip Torn uh, to be funny
1: Well Carl, Carl Reiner is like that He's like an old time gag man Like it's, yeah. it's all about yes. these sequences That's how it feels um, I mean that's I think of Because he directed The Jerk Right And it's just that thing Like yeah there's a narrative But come on Like it's really just It just You're just thinking It's almost just a, a A series of sketches That happen to star the same character
0: Yeah do you know uh, The whole part in uh, I might have talked about this On the podcast a couple of years ago uh, When I saw that, watched the Jerk At TCM Fest And Carl Reiner t- Told the story mm-hmm. The whole joke in, in the Jerk About When he's about To go off And his dad Tells him um, uh, <laughs> You know what that is That's shit And this uh, oh, channel. Channel. Yeah, yeah. That's Chanel That's Chanel That was the, So I guess uh, It was like During the They were shooting During like the gas Shortage hmm. And so Carl Rainer And Steve Martin Were like carpooling To the set together And they just Thought of that On the way to the set and just shot it that day like it wasn't in the script it was just something they thought of yeah. the reason it takes place over on the side of the house was because the set was already being torn down <laughs> that's like the only they had that one like the side of the house left up so they got the actor the dad and sh- like shot that uh, <laughs> real quick uh, so yeah it's that kind of filmmaking like yeah. let's just put a bunch of funny stuff in and there's so much funny stuff i'll t- uh, i'll mention the two things i mentioned to you off Mike. Uh, my. I'll, I'll tell you my wife's favorite laugh and my favorite laugh. Okay. My wife's favorite. <laughs> uh, oh, but actually, this gets into something else. Is the movie is full of like part of the joke is that Rip Torn, all the people around him that work with him and for him are all different nationalities. So he has like the his main like chef and bartender is uh, Mexican. Okay, there's another guy who's like a. Aaron guy who's, uh, a very short Japanese, very old Japanese, mainly mm-hmm. named Um, and then there's his sailing buddy is a guy with a thick Scottish accent played by the guy who plays Wilhelm on Seinfeld. Almost unrecognizable under his like big, uh, you know, Wilhelm, uh, I, I
1: don't remember now.
0: Wilhelm is George's boss. He's between George and Steinbrenner. Oh yes. Yes. Okay. Guy. okay. Yeah. Um, the guy's like, worried about George overworking himself and stuff yeah. like that. Anyway. The guy um, who, for a, f- a long time,
1: I assumed was uh, related to Carl um, Malden. Like, oh for, yeah, some, yeah, reason for always, some reason, he always... Yeah, Richard so, Hurd uh, is his name. Uh,
0: yeah, so... Um, uh, my wife pointed out that, like, you know, a lot of times she and I will revisit these movies from our youth, you know, and there will be things that stick out, like, oh, you couldn't, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. I love... I love Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure but the part where they are relieved to see each other again and they hug and then they quickly like break their hug and call each other the three letter F word I like I wish I mean obviously I don't believe in going in and You know, editing things out of uh, the historical record, as it were, but apparently just wishes that one, it's just that one word Mm. really mars a big part of the movie for me. Anyway, there's none of that in Summer Rental. Like, uh, uh, anytime there is, like, a sort of cultural difference, it's mostly uh, Rip Torn's inability to understand (laughs) that it's the butt of the joke. Uh, Not, uh, uh, because, yeah. um, Anyway, so my wife's there part has to do with Yoku, the very short Japanese man in which when they're cleaning out the boat they're going to use Rip Torn's down in the Hole? I don't know. He's tossing up. The, the cleaning it out. He's tossing up these things. So John Candy's catching a thing, turning, throwing it on a pile, turning, catching it, throwing it a pile. And then Yorku walks right in front of him. So after he's, he turns back, picks up Yorku and tosses him on the pile of like sails. Very funny. Um, that was my, my favorite. My favorite is when John Candy and Rip Torn are drunkenly playing darts, mm-hmm. very drunkenly, and they're hitting everything but the dartboard. Right. And then in the end, John Candy doing a great like drunk guy voice goes, "All right." count them up. <laughs> and it just got this montage of recording, good being like, okay, you got that one. And then it's just shots of arrows in places other than the, yeah. or, or darts in places other than the dartboard, like ones in the ceiling fan <laughs> or whatever. And then the last, like the, the gag, the tag at the end of the scene is RipTorn looking down at his own forearm and there's a blue dart sticking out of it. And he goes, all right, who's blue. And John Hay goes, uh, you're blue. And RipTorn goes, okay, I win. <laughs> uh, which is funny that he didn't, it's funny that he didn't know who was blue. And it's funny that he was blue and apparently threw the dart into his own (laughs) arm. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, there's, and there, yeah, there's so much funny stuff like that. Uh, and I feel like, I don't know. Do we, I I hate to be the, uh, things are better whenever, but I feel like the idea of having a comic persona Mm -hmm. like John Candy's. Yeah. And just building a movie around that. I don't know, like I feel like there's maybe there's
1: I don't think of him as having a persona he wasn't remarkably you know, he didn't have a lot of uh, range as an actor, but you know, he sometimes he would be like a slob, like playing Trains, and automobiles and Uncle Buck. Other times, he's a well-meaning family man, like Great Outdoors and Summer Rental. Other but times, see, I think
0: there's a lot of overlap there because he's there still, probably in, is. In both yeah. of those in both Great Outdoors and Summer Rental, he's still the slob. Richard Kenna's the snob yeah. in Summer Rental, and Dan Aykroyd's the snob uh, yeah. in, in in Great Outdoors. So he's. St- I think. I think the we'd think of him now as just a, a dad type. Sure. You know, uh, um, I, I think he, he did have that even in, uh, home alone, you know, he's still yeah. like, he's well-meaning. Yeah. Probably not super smart. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I, 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 obviously he did have more range. Yeah. Some of the SCTV stuff he did was yeah. well out of that range, and it was often and very he,
1: funny. And even stuff like w- once he started getting into like supporting roles, which admittedly he is in in uh, Home Alone, but stuff like Vacation, playing just the sort of doofus uh, security guard, and yeah. then Stripes. I feel like uh, a little. Well, those
0: bit Those are both before.
1: Yeah, when he's like, when he's like uh, the leading man. He's all often remarkably funny, but yeah, a very specific dad yeah. type. Oh, I mean, not quite as dumb as Homer Simpson, but, yeah, sure. but, but yeah, like likable and s- slobbish and that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah,
0: yeah and so I, I feel like now when we have comedy stars, I mean, I don't know what it is. There's too much pressure to... Have a good story, maybe. I, don't, I, I I don't know. It's I I I'm not sure if I agree a
1: hundred percent. I think there's pressure to have story, um, but I mean, even even. Like I've said before, that my maybe my favorite comedic performer working right now is Melissa McCarthy, who, granted, is is now sort of moving that's more into into one. drama. But you look at Spy, and you yeah. look at he, her supporting role in, in Bridesmaids.
0: Uh, but also, and, and she does things that didn't, you know, like Identity Theft and The Boss and, oh, yeah. and Tammy, and all these things that like maybe weren't as well. But yeah, you know what? You're yeah, that's right. That, you're right. That's a good example of having like building a movie around a comedic person. Yeah, but right, that said, role.
1: but that said, there's still I, I saw Identity Theft I saw a Spy those are plot heavy movies but thankfully the plot plays second fiddle to her right. which is good because a, a, stories as convoluted as those movies can really strangle and suffocate comedy. That's, that goes back to what you were talking about before, which is, is it with a comedy? Is it more important that it make you laugh or that, uh, or that it's just goes for the funny all the time or that there's filmmaking craft. And I think, you know, poor filmmaking can actually detract from comedy but then I think over overprodu- like an overproduced film can suffocate comedy, yes. which is why yeah. action comedies or sci fi comedies, you gotta be you gotta get it just right. Um, yeah, so it I think be Galaxy Quest right or or ghostbusters you know um i can't v- i can't vouch i don't no. know if ghostbusters holds up i haven't seen it since i was a kid. i think it does yeah. and i and i think that they find a really good way to balance like a pretty intent uh pretty effects intensive uh film with a really good uh character comedy but um to me i think it, it just like anything else it just needs to be a balance and if 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 filmmaking, this is actually, uh, this is one of the things that always kind of got me about Chaplin, is that he had a point to make, damn it. And the point would often, in my opinion, it would just come so out of left field that it, w- it would never interfered with the comedy, but you'd be laughing and you're like, "Oh, I guess. Oh, we're really done now
0: with the comedy." Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Every like Chaplin, Kaplan? every Chaplin film reaches a point where it's like, "Okay, the comedy's over. Yes. Now we're on to yes. the." Are you on my side? Good. <laughs> yeah. Now,
1: oh wait, I've alienated you immediately.
0: So I'm, here's what I'm going to say, and I'll give you a chance to think of one. A currently working comic persona that deserves their own movies built around their persona. Mm-hmm. First person that came to mind because it's such a distinct persona is Natasha Leggero <laughs> Yeah. But I I, mean, I guess I didn't watch another period. She got a couple couple that's three right. seasons I, I, out I, yeah. of like essentially her persona, right?
1: Yeah, that and that is a very specific uh type. I mean, I tend to think more in terms of TV where I feel like you're more likely to do that um, with your with your now. lead. Um, and yeah, I mean Okay, I know he's a friend of the show, but for my money, just in general, he's gotten plenty of work, plenty of hosting gigs, but consistently one of the funniest people I've ever met, even before I met him, is Bill Dwyer. Bill Dwyer, again, he's got that dad persona, but he also... When he does it just right, when he does a stand-up just right, there's a thinly con- <laughs> a thinly veiled rage right underneath yeah. that still feels very sh- game show hosty. Well, and again, I know like, that we know him, but at the we're same talking time, talking
0: like about friends of the show. Yeah. Well, first off, our friend of the show, who's on once, Pete Holmes had a yeah had a series yeah. on HBO. What if Mike Schmidt had? What would Mike Schmidt's crashing be like? the Sopranos. (laughs) It would be a hard R (laughs) yeah, Uh, or a hard M, I guess. Yes. Um,
1: uh, I mean, can you just imagine making a, I mean, people are adapting podcasts these days. Imagine adapting the 40 year old boy. Yeah. I mean, it would just be astonishing. I mean, we talked, I think during uh, the most recent Patreon, I was talking about the office and, and uh, talking about, Michael Scott as almost an anti-hero yeah. Because he's so very Flawed but it's a comedy and I feel like You know Schmidt is Kind of an anti-hero in his own Life um, <laughs> but it Would be that would I would I would Love that that'd be amazing
0: all right We we always do this when we have fewer movies we Stretch out yeah. too much uh, but it's Your turn to talk yeah.
1: about a movie. we don't yeah we don't have To hit a certain mark yeah, it's uh, a And yet episode. yeah uh, So I watched well, a uh, lot of filler No I'm kidding in mm, for the page. They know. They know. <laughs> um, so, uh, so one of the things I'm doing right now uh, for work is I'm w- helping to build a curriculum for the middle school program that I worked. Uh, well, it's not merely middle school; pro- it's a high school, middle school, and elementary school program. And one of the reason, one of the problems with the curriculum last year, as it was written by somebody else, um, is that it was done very much for a high school. Uh, audience classroom, um, demographic, demographic, what, you know, what have you. Um, and so we're adapting it to be a little bit more universal. Um, and one of my, one of my jobs is to, cause we're going to have like every, every like seven or eight weeks, we're going to have a sort of a movie day where we just watch a movie. Um, and so I had to go through Netflix and find movies that are a certain length, a certain rating and appropriate for uh what we might be talking about that month and that sort of thing so anyway so i went through and i've been doing that um and i just go with netflix because it's the easiest it's the one that like all the instructors have access to right um
0: but their movie selection is not great it isn't great but it's great enough when it
1: comes to it it gets the job done for what we're doing you know there are at least 10 to 12 good selections for high schoolers, middle schoolers, elementary schoolers. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, and so as I was going through, there was like, I'd seen all of them. And so I could sort of vouch for them except one. And so I thought, well, I've never seen it, but a lot of people have of a certain age. So I'll give it a watch. And so there's a film from 2004. It is, you know, reliable journeyman filmmaker, John Turtletob's national treasure. Oh, I which never I saw it. yeah, it's. I think it was just if we were maybe a few years younger, because people of thing. a certain age, it was a very. successful It was movie. huge. Yeah. They made a sequel. Yeah. Um, I never really had much of a desire to see it, and uh, at, I mean, it came out in 2004. I was very aware of who Jerry Bruckheimer was as a producer. He produced it. It did not appeal to me, uh, but in watching it, uh, dumb as hell, in many ways. They have to just keep, they clearly are going for, honestly, a PG 13 group. Uh, so they have to sort of keep repeating their goals and say, this is what the stakes are. Um, but within that, it's very enjoyable. I mean, this goes back to something that I said after the Meg, and what I just said now is that, like, when we think of just dependable. Uh, they're not auteurs, but they're just solid journeyman filmmakers. John Turtletop, he, the movie, like he's, whatever movie he's making, he will make it as good as it can be. And sometimes it can't be that good, but he, Mm -hmm. but I don't blame him. Um, and, Clearly, this film is, in many ways, a, a throwback to, or, or meant to evoke, uh, the Indiana Jones movies, um, albeit with a main character that isn't quite as iconic, but um, it's still a, what are you looking at over there? <laughs> Why are
0: you, what are you doing? I was trying to figure out if that was, is that a book or a VHS? I'm, I'm not. Okay. I was distracted by something. Got it. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs>
1: What's that there? Um, that there? So, uh, and it's just—I'll uh, say this—that a lot of a lot of the cliches that we think of when it comes to sort of heist movies, like the the jaunty montage as somebody explains the different all the levels of security that they'll need to go through, and oh, right. you know yeah, yeah. that sort of thing—it's all there and. You kind of roll your eyes because it's been parodied so many times since then uh for me maybe most notably in a wonderful episode of community in season three um but f- for what it is and i don't say that necessarily in a in an overly negative patronizing way it's just it's meant for i think a younger crowd and within that it is a lot of fun and The fact, and I, I, it also just seems like a simpler time in filmmaking, even though I know that wasn't the case, but it just seems like it because, uh, the idea is, as they say, a billion times in the first act, uh, we're going to steal the Declaration of Independence. All right. But they're doing that to keep somebody else from stealing it. And ultimately it's this idea that they're searching for tre- this treasure, a national treasure. Um, and there's a, there's a map on the backside of the Declaration of Independence. And so the villain played by Sean Bean, of course uh, he says, well, okay, we can, we can get that. And Nicolas Cage has a crisis of conscience and he says, no, we can't do that. And then uh, Sean Bean, Betrays him, revealing himself to be the villain, uh, and so Nicolas Cage ultimately is like, okay, well, I'll steal it so that he can't, and I just, I just immediately thought like. So the the backstory is that Nicolas Cage's family has been looking for this treasure for generations and he now knows where it is, but he's not going to desecrate the, de- the declaration of independence. But of course this British guy does not care <laughs> yeah. and he's going to, he's going to do what he wa- what he wants to do because Hey, maybe he thinks like, if I destroy this, do we get do we get the colonies back? Uh, he never says that, but I, I thought that, um, so anyway, uh, so it's just stuff like that. It's just, it's obvious in a lot of ways. Um, but it is, it really is a lot of fun. I think you would enjoy it. Um, I certainly enjoyed it. I don't know if I enjoyed it enough to see the sequel, but maybe I heard the sequel is pretty good too. So it's just, it's one of those like solid, out of five stars, yeah. it's a solid three, three and a half if I'm feeling generous.
0: Remind me what the subtitle is of the sequel. Cradle of Life?
1: Book of Shadows?
0: Book of Secrets?
1: Do I need Book of Secrets? I think that's what it is. I know Book of Shadows is Blair Witch. I was making a joke. but um,
0: And I'm pretty sure Cradle of Life is uh,
1: Tomb Raider? I think that's Tomb
0: Raider. <laughs> Man. It's, Which that's, uh, like, Tomb Raider 2 is a movie. Book of Secrets, yes. Okay. Tomb Raider 2 is one of those movies that I cannot tell you if i saw or not
1: i i certainly haven't seen the first i haven't seen any of the it, there were only two right Wait, no
0: angelina julie did
1: two movies she did two yeah i didn't see either one of those yeah for some reason i thought it was like more of a series but no i guess there was no, she did two. what two. i'm
0: saying is i know i saw the first one mm-hmm. which i used to get into an argument with my manager at the video store because he kept trying to put it under t for tomb raider and i put it under l because the name of the movie is laura croft tomb raider oh okay yeah Uh, (laughs) the new one is just Tomb Raider yeah the new one but the Angelina Jolie one from 2000 I think is Laura Croft Tomb Raider did he think Laura Croft was the name of the actress maybe maybe Maybe. Um, uh, but then yeah she made a second one it might Mm -hmm. be called Cradle of Life that that sounds right I cannot tell you for sure if I saw it or not that's one of those movies anyway I probably didn't well
1: and now that I think about it um Cradle of Life you're correct um now that I think about it, uh, I mean, you had Ocean's Eleven in 2001, and then you've got Lara Croft Tomb Raider, and then you've got National Treasure. Like, this, this idea of, of, you know, uh, a, big a big heist and working together as a yeah. group, like, seemed to, uh, within various genres, really seemed to catch on uh, yeah. at this
0: time. All right, moving on to some new movies, movies that are out this week that um, hopefully uh, you're reading review soon. It's been a busy week. Um, the first movie I saw on Monday um, was Simon Curtis's "The Art of Racing in the Rain." Oh yeah, uh, and this is I, no, I have not seen Simon Curtis's best known film was "My Week with Marilyn," which I've not seen. It's I, not. It's not bad. I saw "Woman in Gold," which I thought was. Completely unremarkable. Um, that's one I can tell you I've seen, but I can't tell you much about it. Uh, and then I saw uh, Goodbye Christopher Robin, which I thought was uh, pretty bad. Um, which one is That's that? one with Donald Gleason? I think. Okay, that's the one... The. M-
1: there's Christopher Robin, and then there's Goodbye Christopher Robin.
0: Christopher Robin came, or Goodbye Christopher Robin came out first. Okay. It's, it's like the real, quote-unquote, realist story okay. of him, uh, what, uh, a. a. Milne, is that a name? Um, yes. Uh, raising his, his son. Um, it doesn't have actual, like, uh, you know, animal, like, uh, talking bears mm-hmm. and shit in it. Got it. Uh, anyway. So I, I didn't have a host up that much, but I like the cast here. You've got uh, Milo Ventimiglia, mm-hmm. uh, who was not related to John Ventimiglia, uh, who played uh, Artie Bucco on The Sopranos. Did I did I,
1: sort of always assume
0: that they were related somehow. I, I might, this might have been an off-mic thing. If you go to John Ventimiglia's Wikipedia page, it says he is not related to Milo Ventimiglia.
1: So, I have to assume he added that himself,
0: yes. Or maybe like maybe a number of people went in and said that he was... Do you know what I mean? Sure. Like just put on, just maybe just assumed. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Um, so yeah, you got my Tumilli, You've got Amanda Seafried, You've got Martin Donovan. You've got Kathy oh. Baker. Uh, and you've got the voice of Kevin Costner as the dog. And Gary Cole is in here. Um, Gary Cole is in it. Also, also speaking of the Sopranos, the guy who played Mikey Palmieri in season one. Okay. I forget his name. Um, he plays an Italian guy in this one. Oh. Uh, anyway. Um, so yeah, I, I but so I saw, I, I was curious and uh this is a movie that I, I i'm gonna i'm gonna focus on the good okay. i think it's a movie that has a lot of dumb stuff in it in terms of it's like sort of uh, in terms of hitting like melodrama milestones birth death death illness that's you know like uh all, all of these you know uh, oh we're gonna tell a story of essentially uh, uh like a, a marriage and a childhood over the through the eyes of the dog who's sure. alive through all of it you know um, and it does all that pretty by the by the book um, but uh, it has a, an odd take in that I think you expect it's weird to have Kevin Costner be the voice of the dog because he's got that old voice and he's really playing into the old sort of role yeah. voice and this is a this is a movie the, the opening sequence and the voiceover is is the dog talking about his own death that it's coming up that he knows it's coming up the whole thing like the dog clearly understands english he understands everything that's said to him but can't speak he he actually talks about i my tongue is too long to produce monosyllabic or polysyllabic words like it's it's not the voiceover that you expect yeah and so first off the fact that he understands English and could speak English, just doesn't have the physical ability to, is like a torturous, like, mind of the prison type, prison of the mind type of thing anyway, which the movie kind of acknowledges and kind of doesn't. But also, he's seen this documentary about dogs in Mongolia Mm -hmm. whose owners or masters whatever, obviously believe in reincarnation and they believe that a dog is, or at least according to him, the dog is sort of like the last animal form before you're reincarnated as a man. So if you're mm-hmm. good, a good enough dog. So like a, his whole like journey as a dog is he sees this documentary. He knows this and his plan is to learn as much about being a person, being a good person and try to remember it for when he's reincarnated as a human. Yeah. That's kind of his goal in his, in his dog life. Um, and so there's so much talk of death. The movie is so much about death mm. and awareness of death um and sort of being at peace with 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 death and it's um uh yeah our friend um Kyle Anderson from Nerdist asked me because he was talking about I guess guess those other movies like a dog's journey a dog's purpose those things are also narrated by the dog I didn't realize that because I haven't seen them um but he said those dog or those movies have you seen them no because Kyle said those movies are very Christian uh, oh, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that either. And so he was like, right. oh. so he was like, "Is it a, is it a like sort of stealth Christian movie like these other ones?" And I was like, "No, it's very much like an Eastern religion movie. It's a movie that uh, very much seems to suggest that reincarnation is a real thing, or at least b- bases its premise uh, wow. around that." And of course, it's a, it's it's a, it's a lot a, of surprises going it's on an right enormous now. Enormous tearjerker. That won't be a surprise. Yeah, it's a very effective tearjerker that I think is. Um, manipulative in mostly good ways uh, no. I, I mostly am signing off on this um, this movie enough that they need me to but uh, I was surprised by the fact that I liked it more than I did and again you've got great performances I really like My Limit Um I've always loved Amanda Seyfried always have mm-hmm. uh, and um, uh, Kathy Baker is one of those actresses that I think it, uh, is really great and is often in this movie included given roles that aren't as deep as she can go yeah you know if you've seen her on obviously in edward scissorhands or i weirdly think of do you remember the david e kelly series boston public yeah do you remember her in that uh, uh i know that she was in that but it, that's she was a i think a recurring guest where she was
1: a mother to one of the students so she was so great well like, my my family used to watch picket fences uh, and i, I remember she watched? was really good in that that's also david e kelly right oh is it i don't think i knew that maybe
0: i'm wrong um Anyway, you've got hit, but uh, oh, it is yeah. Um, Martin Donovan is the one. Uh, I really want to focus on uh, Kevin Costner's great. Martin Donovan is Amanda Seafried's character's dad. Mm-hmm. You know, he's it's the stock sort of like disapproving dad because he's sure. like, got money, and Miley tamilia's character doesn't come from money and uh, doesn't have as, as much money, um, and so he always disapproves. And uh, props to Martin Martin Donovan for really. Leaning into this guy being a piece of shit. (laughs) Like, I've never, like, I, if I, I, I joked my wife, like, if I had seen Martin Donovan in the corridor outside the, screening room after the movie, I might've tried to strangle him. I hated him so much in the movie. And that's, that's interesting. Cause he's an actor that has, he's played assholes and
1: hypocrites in the past, but I feel I always get like a real strong sense of inherent decency yeah. in, with him as yeah. an actor. So for him to play that convincingly is, is yeah. something.
0: And there's little things that I noticed. I don't know if this was a Martin Donovan thing or if it's in the screenplay, but like little bits of like character like when he's when the dog's staying at the at his and his Kathy Baker's house, um, and he wants the dog to go outside to go on a walk and go mm-hmm. do its business, he he's like, "Come on, let's get busy, let's get busy." Which yeah. is like, not it's well, weird. It's not a stock line. It's something that like, if you have a dog, maybe you might have come around. Like, sure, I say all kinds of weird stuff like yeah. to my dog that it seems normal to me. So like, I liked bit little moments like that. Like the movie, the movie has so many. Possibilities to become uh, just boilerplate anodyne. And yeah. For a lot of it, it is. No. But it also has a lot of character and great performances. Um, I've talked way more about it than I thought I would, but I, I was surprised how much I liked it.
1: Incidentally, I started laughing at a uh, really, really dumb joke in my own head uh, when you were talking about the fact of the dog can think and and is very eloquent in his own mind but can't say anything and that that's torturous and i had the thought of like an alternate title could be like my tongue is too long and i must scream
0: (laughs) Um. (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's great um okay and then finally uh so art racing in the rain was a surprise and a good way for me The movie this week that I was very have been excited about for a while Mm. that really disappointed me unfortunately is Andre Overdoll's scary stories to tell in the dark oh that's too bad yeah um, because I and maybe this is the problem is that I'm such a big fan of the books from what Mm. I grew up reading them I in preparation for this went back and reread a a bunch of stories Um, and this is just it takes you know there is so much press about how like in the the design of the monsters they right. really tried to uh and now I'm forgetting his name Stephen Gamble is that the artist uh, Alvin Schwartz is the writer uh, yeah, yeah. Gamble th- sounds right Stephen Gamble so they really tried to recreate his his drawings of the no. monsters and they did a good job of that but I should have but I should have realized that's a warning sign that they were taking a very superficial approach <laughs> yeah to adapting that it, it's that's about as far as they go in terms mm. of tone it's not anything like the Alvin Schwartz um do they go the, too dark with it? No, it's quite the opposite. It's, um, they uh, turn into goosebumps. It, I wouldn't know. Cause I didn't read any goosebumps no. or see the movie, but yeah, it, it has like, there's, there's like chase sequences. And it's just like, there's the, the, the CGI is way too fakey for, mm. um, in some of them, there's something like the, um, uh, the, the monster in the big toe short story. Uh, yeah. It's, so the movie has a, narrative through but okay. part of the thing is that everyone every person who dies in the movie dies by the way of one of those stories so mm-hmm. it's like it is a bunch of short stories and sometimes they like put them together they like um uh in including one of my least favorites uh but so the uh, the big toe I don't know if you remember the big toe um uh in in the story in the scary stories tell in the dark the uh it's a, a kid finds a toe sticking out of the ground and pulls it out, takes some force, but he pulls it out and brings it home. And his mom's like, Ooh, it's big and plump. I'll put it in the stew, uh. which is like, that's what I love about scary stories. Tell in the dark is that this is a story about a family of cannibals. And that's not supposed to be the scary part, <laughs> right? That's just the normal part. The scary part is that then the ghost who's missing its toe comes looking, uh, right. to, for the kid. And so the, uh, or her toe, I guess in this case, and so the monster in that one is, I think, really well designed. But then you get uh, one of my—I don't—I don't know—I don't, know, don't want to get too much into into spoilers, actually. So I'm not sure what, what I should say. But they do one of the, uh, a, a monster based on one of my favorite creepy images um, that uh, was just too fakey too, st- and also way too like. I, I just don't like that it's chasing them. Like hmm. to me, a big part of and i don't want to make this all about the books i should treat the movie on its own terms but terms but this is a way of saying why i don't find it as scary a big part of what's so scary about the scary stories to tell in the dark monsters and ghosts is that we don't really they're not really presented to us as trying to scare you do you know what i mean they right. kind of just are and that's kind of scarier yeah like they're just they're just acting according to their nature and that's all the more freaky because there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah.
1: Whereas once you, they don't know they're monsters. They just, yes. Yes.
0: And so once you give them too much agency, um, and yeah, you've got like, even though they got like the jumping on cars and chasing, like it's, it's not, Mm. it's not what I wanted and just on its own merits, it doesn't really work as a scary story because some of the vignettes are are scary, I will say mm-hmm. that. Some of them are, are are scary. Some of the creature design is scary. There's also way too much downtime in between these episodes okay. in which nothing interesting is happening because the 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 story that puts it all together is not particularly interesting. It also seems like it's halfway towards trying to get to an allegory about our political it takes place in 1968. Okay. Right. I think Well, it starts on October 19—on Halloween 1968. Mm -hmm. So it's literally the week—it takes place over the week leading up to Nixon being elected. Okay. And so that's—there's a lot of imagery of Nixon and of uh, anti-war people at the same time. And so I think you're getting—I think it's trying to get some idea of a divided America— and that uh we're too consumed with anger like it seems to be trying to get to that but it doesn't want to follow through uh at at all or it's just making a very superficial argument and uh and so none, none of it none of it really works um i was i was really disappointed
1: that's really too bad
0: yeah